wonderful. Take your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 9, would you? Acts chapter 9, I'm so thankful to be here and uh, thankful to be a part of this and this weekend. What an encouragement. I wasn't sure I was going to make it yesterday, but the Lord worked it all out and, and got me here, and I'm thankful for how he worked in spite of it all. And I'm glad you're here. What a good group of men. What an encouragement it is to hear you pray and see, hear you sing and see you mingle with each other, encourage your pastor. What what a blessing that is, and I pray that it just spills out, not just from this weekend, but spills back home and spills out into your home and your marriage and your family, and in so many ways is a great help. Acts chapter 9 is where we're at, Acts chapter 9. I want to ask a question this, this afternoon that will perhaps spark our thinking and help us as we seek to know what makes an Apostle Paul. I'm asking that question just now. What makes an Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul was one of the epic characters in the Bible. He, alongside of Moses and alongside of Joshua and alongside of John the Baptist and, and alongside of Peter had such a powerful impact. And I want to ask the question, what makes an Apostle Paul? Now, when I ask the question, I'm asking it with the assumption or the, uh, the understanding that there are some foundational elements. First of all, we're setting aside as an obvious impact his conversion. It will happen in Acts chapter 9 when he's converted and he trusts Christ as his Savior. Uh, without a conversion, no one is going to be what God wants them to be. This is the will of the Father that you believe on him that sent me. And so first and foremost, he was saved. That's foundational and fundamental. And if you're here this afternoon and you're not saved, you need to get saved and you need to believe on Jesus Christ. You need to call upon him and cry out to him to save you. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And truly, if, if you're here and you know that you're a sinner, which any honest person has has no problem admitting their guilt and their sin, and you know that there's a consequence for your sin, and any reasonable person would, would acknowledge that there's a consequence for breaking God's law. If there's a consequence for breaking man's law, surely there's a consequence for breaking God's law. And you know that that, that consequence is eternal judgment in hell, and, and you seek to avoid that, and you want the solution for your sin, which is Jesus Christ. Anybody that has any sense of the Bible knows that Jesus is the answer. He's not part of the answer. He's not somewhat the answer. He is the answer. And if today you'll call upon Jesus Christ, he'll save you. And if you need to be saved, it would be perfectly appropriate, right smack dab in the middle of this message, for you to raise your hand, stand up, and say, I need to be saved. We'd stop everything we're doing to help you to Jesus. It wouldn't interrupt us. It wouldn't bother us in the least bit. It would be perfectly appropriate if you need to be saved to say, I need to be saved. We'll help you get saved on the spot. We'd, we'd bring things to a screeching halt to, to help that matter settle. But so we're going to set aside the obvious that, that Paul's conversion was fundamental. We're also going to set this aside that Paul was called of God. He said, I was called or born not of the flesh nor the will of man, but of God. He was, he was called of God to be a, an apostle and a preacher and a teacher to the Gentiles. We, we know that God called the apostle Paul. On the road to Damascus, he saved him and he called him at the same time. That doesn't always happen that way, but sometimes it happens and it certainly happened with the Apostle Paul. So we're going to set aside the obvious that, that he was saved, saved through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way a man can be saved, and then 
called, called by God, not called by man, not called by a committee or a fellowship or an alma mater or a preacher or called by anyone else, but called of God. So we're going to set aside his salvation and set aside his call of God as an obvious impact in his life and what would shape him in the future. We're also going to set aside his suffering because his suffering was a crucial matter and a crucial element in what shaped and made the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and 12, he talks about his suffering and he lists it as a part of his resume. He said, I could talk to you about all that I've done and all that I could boast about all of my accomplishments, but no, I'm going to glory in mine afflictions and glory in mine infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He went to the Lord three times and said, Lord, please take away this thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was, but we can, we can easily assume that it could have been something with his eyes. He, he, he wrote in big letters. He, he, he was unpleasant to look at. He was powerful in absence in his letters, but he was, he was he was, he was unpleasant to look at in his presence. And so he, he likely could have prayed something like this, Lord, my eyes are limiting me. I can't see the way I'd like. And, and sometimes I, I just wish that I could just have my eyesight. Then I could really accomplish something for you. Would you give that back and take away this thorn in the flesh? And the Lord said, no. And so he went again and, and he said, Lord, would you please take away this thorn in the flesh? It's really limiting in, in my ministry. And it could really, if I just didn't have this, then I, I know all my, my ministry would be enhanced. And the Lord said, no. And he went the third time. Paul was, if he was anything, he was persistent. And so he went the third time. And he said, Lord, would you please take this away? I just know things could be better. And the Lord said, no. And on the third answer, he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul's answer, not after a long absence and not after long silence, Paul's answer was, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So we're going to set aside as obvious facts and elements that impacted and shaped his life, his salvation, his call to preach and to, to minister, and his suffering. But outside of that, and other than that, I'm asking the question, what makes an Apostle Paul? This is the Apostle Paul who in Acts chapter number 7 was standing there, and, and they laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul, Acts chapter 7 and verse 58. While they stoned Stephen, Saul of Tarsus, who later would become Paul the preacher, Paul the apostle, Paul the teacher, he, he, they laid down their clothes or their, their coats at, a, at the feet of one named Saul of Tarsus. He was there presiding over the first martyr. Uh, he was there in Acts chapter 8 working havoc in the church of God. It says, in Saul was consenting unto his, that is Stephen's death. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. This was Saul of Tarsus. He was there in Acts chapter 9 on his way to Damascus with papers in hand to do some more persecution. Let's look and see what it says, Acts 9 and verse number 1. Would you notice, please, what the text says? In Acts 9 and verse 1, the Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters 
to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, the way of Christ, the way of the cross, the way of salvation, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near unto Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Now it is on this platform... And from this canvas, we're going to learn what makes an Apostle Paul. And I want you to see and even be surprised and powerfully impacted today by the fact that common men impacted his life. Common men like you and me impacted the Apostle Paul. Right now, he's not the Apostle Paul. Right now, he's not the great, the great penman of the New Testament. Right now, he is not a church planner. Right now, he is a brand new convert. Right now, he is extremely vulnerable. Right now, he could go one way or the other. And notice what the scripture says in verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. This would not be confused with the Ananias of Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira fame. Ananias and Sapphira whom God struck dead. This is a different Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. I want to propose to you this afternoon that, in fact, there are three key individuals who had three characteristics in their life that impacted Saul of Tarsus so that he would become the Apostle Paul. And had these three men not been where they were and been sensitive and submissive to the Lord when they were and how they were, we likely would never have heard of the Apostle Paul. Either that or the Lord would have gotten someone else. I want you to notice, first of all, that there would never have been an Apostle Paul had there not been the obedience of Ananias. Ananias, in this passage, is God's obedient Disciple, Verse number 10, there was a certain disciple at Damascus. That's how we know him. That's how we know him as. He, he doesn't say he was a, a Bible college professor. It doesn't say that he was an author. It doesn't say he had a podcast. It doesn't say he was a pronounced preacher. It doesn't say that he had a, a, great, a, a great congregation or uh, any kind of following. It just says there was a disciple, a certain disciple at Damascus. Likely, Ananias' life would have been impacted negatively if God had not interrupted Saul on his road to Damascus. It's possible that he could have been like those in Acts chapter 8, the men and women who were hailed into prison and separated and havoc was made. Ananias was a disciple and he heard the Lord. The Lord spoke to him in a vision saying, Ananias, and he said, behold, I am here. I want you to notice a few th facts about his obedience. First of all, he was attentive to the Lord's voice. 
He, he heard the Lord's voice. He could recognize it. This was not a strange voice. This was not an unfamiliar voice. This was something he knew and recognized. The Lord came to him in a vision and said, Ananias, and he said, behold, I am here, Lord. He was attentive to hear him. I, I want to ask you today, are you attentive to hear the voice of the Lord? When he speaks to your heart. Now, I wonder if you are. I, I wonder. I wonder. Uh, I travel around the country and see a good many churches, and I've just come to the conclusion that one reason sometimes pastors question whether or not the invitation is valid is because they give an invitation 156 times a year, and maybe 30% of the time that something happens, and that just a trickle. So after a while, they begin to say, well, is it any good to do this anymore? Have, have, we, have we worn out the purpose and the usefulness of the invitation? Is, is there some way that I'm doing it wrong and maybe my people don't respond, so why give it? And I question whether or not someone is attentive to hear the voice of the Lord when they never come forward ever in a church service. Now, I'm not saying you have to come forward every church service. I'm not saying that you need to be forward every service, but it certainly wouldn't hurt. I heard a man when I was training for ministry say that the, the more you grow in Christ, the less you need to go to the altar. I just want to say I haven't found that to be true. Now, I'm 49 years old, and I've been saved for almost 45 years, and I can tell you this, that that hasn't been my experience. As an evangelist, I preach a lot. There are probably 360 times that I preach this year in various places and settings and circumstances around the country. And whenever I get to hear preaching, I usually, it's listening to it online or on YouTube or on some, uh, some file uh, that I have. But, but, but when I hear preaching in person, most of the time I'm saying, I wish this preacher would hurry up and get it through so I can get to the altar because I got to get there. What kind of... What kind of uh, nonsense is this, that the more I grow in Christ, the less I need to visit the altar. That's, that's a mark of me being attentive to hear the voice of God. Do you hear the voice of God when he speaks through your pastor and through your preacher? Do you hear the voice of God when he comes to you in your own devotions? Do you hear the voice of God? Are you, you, you in tune with it? Do you, can you discern the difference between the voice of the Lord and the, the other spirits that are trying to sway you away from that which is good and right to that which is evil and unholy? Can you hear the voice of God? Like Samuel, just a boy, maybe five, maybe six or seven in the, in the tabernacle. And the Lord says, Samuel, Samuel. Do you know what he did? He went right to his authority. Now, I think that's interesting because there was no open vision in those days. There was no prophet speaking in those days, kind of like the 400 silent years or kind of like the verse in Proverbs where it says there, where there is no vision, the people perish. And so there was no open vision. God wasn't speaking through his prophets. That's, by the way, a mark of God's judgment. And so, so he went right to Eli. Did you call me? No, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. He gets back to sleep, snuggles his head down on the pillow, and he hears, Samuel, Samuel. He went right to Eli. Did you call me? No, I didn't call you. Eli was dull of hearing. Eli was dull of spiritual sense and, and was not where he should have been as the high priest. Go back to bed. Finally, the third time, the Lord said, Samuel, Samuel. And he went to Eli and he said, Eli, he said, you call me. And you know, Eli said, I think, could it be? I think the Lord is trying to get your attention. The next time say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. We were having family devotions one night and my kids were sitting around. My young Timothy was right up next to me. And, and I was talking about how the Lord came to Samuel and said, Samuel, Samuel. And he did it again, Samuel, Samuel. And a third time, Samuel. And Timothy was probably about four or five. And he looked up at me and he said, 
did him say, what? (laughs) Family devotions was officially over at that moment, I can assure you. But that's what we need to do. When the Lord speaks, we need to say, what? Lord, you're speaking to me. And for the first time, the Lord spoke to Samuel and he gave him very heavy news and a very serious task to carry out as a young boy. Young men, don't wait till you're an adult to hear the voice of God. You can hear it now. You can understand it now. You can discern it now. Are you attentive enough to hear him? Notice verse number uh, 10. He said, and he said, behold, I am here, Lord. He was available. Notice his availability. Not just his attentiveness, but his availability. He said, behold, I am here, Lord. That's the greatest ability is availability. He's looking for you to be ready. Lord, I'm ready. At a moment's notice, I'm ready. Just like the soldiers that were called up from all around the world to go back to Israel and fight for their country. God wants us to be available to fight at a moment's notice. He wants us to be available to serve. Lord, you tell me to jump and I'll say how high on the way up. What do you want me to do? I'm available. Behold, I am here, Lord, verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight. And inquire in the house of Judas, or for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. (laughs) Wow. Saul of Tarsus was not an unknown figure at this moment in history. And he certainly was not an unknown figure at this time. This would be like one of the head honchos of Hamas. He was going for blood. He was coming to take these families that were a part of the way and they were going to be scattered. Notice verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. So apparently word had already gotten up to Damascus that... That Saul of Tarsus was on his way. I want you to notice his appeal. Now, I don't think the Lord is afraid of your questions. Do you? Oh, no. Here he comes again. This guy's always got questions for me. The Lord's not afraid of your questions. And I don't think that the Lord's bothered by your questions. Now, I do think that when you and I ask questions of the Lord, we need to do so with a humble heart and with a teachable spirit. But I don't think it's wrong to ask questions if we don't understand. Now, we don't always need to understand before we obey the Lord, but, but when Ananias is asking, he says, wait, wait, are we talking about the same Saul? The Saul that was there when Stephen was martyred, the Saul that wrought havoc in the last chapter, I've heard by many that he works great evil. He's coming here. He has authority to kill here and to arrest. Verse, nine, verse 15, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me and to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Wow. So after he appealed and the Lord verified that he had heard rightly, verse 17, Ananias went his way and entered into the house. Wow. This is all part of Ananias' obedience. Now, he's looking for some men to be obedient. And that obedience, watch this, is never divorced from the Word of God and it is never divorced from affecting people. Just like your disobedience affects others, your obedience will impact others. 
Just like your disobedience and my disobedience will hurt the testimony of the word of God, our obedience helps and reinforces the testimony of the word of God. And so he obeyed. I want you to notice his action. Verse number 17, Ananias went his way and entered into the house. And watch this now. Look at this. This is powerful. And putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul. Now you think if you're Saul. You have gone to Damascus on purpose to persecute the followers of Jesus who was recently crucified. Jesus himself meets you on the road to Damascus, blinds you with a great light, speaks to you personally. You put your faith in him, you're completely vulnerable. When you open your eyes, you don't see anyone. You have to be led about. When you get up to Damascus, uh, you're staying in a particular place that you do not know. Someone is taking care of you, haven't eaten or drunk for three days, and all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. Much like the knock that you did in Acts chapter 8, with ill intent against those inside. And all of a sudden, you hear the door open. Since it's close to Halloween, I can do sound effects. You hear steps, you can't see anybody. And he puts his hands on you and says, Brother Saul. Ananias' voice was the first one that Paul heard after he got saved, call him brother. Wow. What an encouragement. Brother Saul. The Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them, which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ." And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself unto the disciples. Watch, had there not been the obedience of Ananias, I don't think we would ever heard of the Apostle Paul. He went at God's bidding, in a dangerous situation, at a dangerous time, put his hands on this one named Saul of Tarsus and said, Brother Saul, and the scales fell off his eyes. And the first Christian that Saul saw, who would be Paul, Saul saw after he got saved was Ananias. Suppose that had an impact? Guarantee it. I wonder if there's some Saul of Tarsus in your church. Newly saved, maybe out of a life of sin, maybe out of a life of scorn, Maybe out of a life of religious antagonism towards the word of God. And they needed Ananias to come to them and say, brother. They need somebody to step up beside them, put their arm around their shoulder and say, God's got this and he's going to help you with this and we're going to go forward for the Lord. Maybe they themselves feel vulnerable. Do you see it? Number one, it's the, Anani it's the obedience of Ananias. But notice verse 26. It says, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself 
to the disciples. That means he was trying to, he attempted to, but somehow he was unable to. And the Bible says, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Surprise, surprise, right? He went to the first Baptist church of Jerusalem and knocked on the door of the basement when they were all meeting behind locked doors. And they said, who is it? And he said, Saul of Tarsus. And they said, nobody's home. So he went down to the second Baptist church and tried it again, and the same thing happened. And then the third Baptist, and then the fourth Baptist. He said, preacher, there aren't such things as third and fourth Baptist. Well, I grew up going to a fourth Baptist, so there is. And there probably was, because Baptists are good. If they're not good at anything, they're good at splitting. So there might have even been a few splits by this time. Who knows? But uh, nobody can ever accuse us of not starting churches. We do it all the time. And so, so here he comes, and he's knocking on the doors of these churches. He can't get in the front door or the side door, or the back door, know how he can't get in. And he was discouraged. He'd just gotten saved. He'd just heard and seen Ananias, and they'd encouraged him up there. He'd just preached that Jesus is the Son of God up there in Damascus. In fact, he'd just had the first threat on his life for preaching that Jesus is the Son of God, and now he can't even find sideways entrance into the churches of Jerusalem, and the church at Jerusalem. Verse number 27. It says, verse 26, they were afraid of him, all afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him. I love that. Barnabas took him. I want you to notice, we would never have heard of the Apostle Paul had it not been for the obedience of Ananias. Number two, had it not been for the encouragement of Barnabas. Barnabas was known as the son of consolation. Barnabas was known as an encourager. Barnabas was known for selling what he had and giving to the Lord. Barnabas was known as a man of God. All of that had already transpired in Acts chapter number four and Acts chapter number five. And now the scripture says that Barnabas took him. Took Who was Barnabas? Well, he was a prophet. He was anointed of God and he was used of God, but he took him and he said, excuse me, sir, you trying to get in? Yeah, I've been trying to get in. This is the fourth Baptist church I've come to. Can't get in. I went to the first Baptist and the second Baptist and the third Baptist. I can't seem to get in. He said, hey, come with me. He took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way. Watch now. Can't you see Barnabas? He says, come here. I've got a special way to get in. He takes him down a back alley and through a side door and through a secret entrance and down a, a flight of stairs and he gets into a basement and he has the password and the key and the finger recognition and, and, and facial recognition and he gets in and there's a small group of men down there in the basement and they say, hey, Barnabas, good to see you. He said, good to see you. He said, I brought a new convert here. He said, a new convert? Yep, recently saved. He said, that's great. Come on out here. And Saul of Tarsus comes and his face is seen. Ah! What are you doing, Barnabas? What are you bringing this guy here for? You got him down into the secret meeting place. Why did you do this for? Wait, 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 wait. It's okay. Saul, tell him how you got saved. Well, I was on my way up to Damascus and I was going to persecute Christians up there like I did down here. And the Lord showed himself and he called from heaven and I got saved and I was blinded for three days up there. And all of a sudden, a man named Ananias came and helped me and, and, and encouraged me. And I was preaching on the streets up there, not having been saved very long, that Jesus is the son of God. And it wasn't long and they were trying to kill me. So I came and escaped down here to Jerusalem, but I can't seem to get in anywhere. And I'd imagine there were still some of these guys that were looking with squinty-eyed suspicion at Barnabas. Well, 
what was he thinking? Why did you do this? Couldn't you have been brought, brought, brought him to us in a little less auspicious place? Why, what are you thinking, Barnabas? But Barnabas declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. So now he's at his second death threat. Wow. What a blessing that Barnabas took him. I want to say there's somebody in your church or somebody in your community that may have gotten saved, but they don't know what to do next. Maybe they need to get saved and then shown what to do next, and they need somebody who'll be an encouragement. Anybody around can curse the darkness. Anybody can curse the weeds. Somebody needs to grow some grass. Somebody needs to shine some light. Somebody needs to say, by the grace of God, the Lord's going to help you. He helped me. I think we too easily forget where we came from and that somewhere there was a beginning for us and that someone reached back in our life and helped us and showed us the right way and the next step encouraged us to take, a, to take that step and walked with us as we did. God give us some Barnabases who will be some encouragement, who will walk away from this place and say, I've been having a wrong mindset and a wrong perspective. I need to change my mindset and change my perspective so that I can be a Barnabas. Had there not been a Barnabas, I, I don't know. I'm not so sure we'd ever heard of the Apostle Paul. Why? There was, number one, the obedience of Ananias. Number two, there was the encouragement of Barnabas. But I want you to see one final person who maybe you forgot. Turn back to Acts chapter 7, and we're through. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is called upon to give an answer for what Jesus said. By the way, <clears throat> when you and I are called upon to give an answer for what Jesus said, we shouldn't shirk that. We shouldn't shy away from that. We should step up to the plate. And let me say, Stephen, as far as we know, wasn't a called of God pastor or evangelist or apostle or prophet. He was a faithful servant in his local church. He was one who was selected among the six de uh, uh, men that were deacons, that were full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith. And they were used of God to take a load off of the preacher's plate in Acts 6 so that the preachers could continually devote themselves to the ministry of prayer and the word. And so Stephen is called upon to give an answer. And the Bible says, be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you in meekness and in fear. And he gave an answer. They said, what are you going to do with this word that Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And Stephen understood. And Stephen declared. And in a spontaneous way, he preached. Men, learn to preach and learn how to preach and learn what to say and what not to say and learn to preach so that you can understand good preaching and the difference between good preaching and poor preaching and learn to preach so you can shout your pastor on and learn to preach so that you can respond and encourage your family and learn to preach so that when the pastor somehow needs help, you can step up and preach. Stephen stood up and he preached. And when he preached, he preached one of the most powerful messages in all the New Testament. He preached that Jesus is the only way. He preached history. He preached expositorily. He preached the word of God. And when he preached, he made an application. Let me say, there's no such thing as preaching that doesn't make an application. And he, he was good until he made the application. He could have avoided dying had he not made an application. But he made an application because he was a bold, fearless preacher. And notice what he says in verse 51. 
Acts 7, 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and years. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted and they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it when they heard these things they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. And verse number 56, he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Wow. Do you know who I believe impacted Saul of Tarsus who became Paul the Apostle more than anyone? Stephen. Because it was likely Saul of Tarsus who was stirring up this fomenting mob and stirring up these Sadducees and Pharisees and religious leaders and getting them to go down and grab the stone and getting them to obey the, what they called their Hebrew oral tradition and lift up stones to throw at the face and skull of Stephen until his blood spilled out on the earth and until he died. He died. He died like no other one Saul had ever seen with forgiveness. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. What? Watch me. We would never have heard of the Apostle Paul had it not been for the death of Stephen. And I want you to understand something this morning. Stephen died long before Acts 7. He died to self and to his own ambitions, to his own comfort, died to his own dreams. Listen to me. He died to his right to live. He died to bitterness and unforgiveness. And there when he died, Saul of Tarsus Saw a real Christian. And I'm going to tell you, nobody that's watching you or me sees real Christianity in our lives until we die. Died our own dreams. Died our own ambitions and wants. Died to our own rights and our right to live. But when they see that, they see real Christianity. I, I, I would say that if Paul the Apostle had an office, and if he had a desk in that office, and if he had a glass cover on his desk, and if he had pictures under that glass cover, I would say he likely had a picture of Ananias. 
The first Christian he ever saw after he'd been saved. The obedient servant. I'd likely say he had a picture of Barnabas, the encourager who took him. And boy, if it were possible and he could muster one up, I'd likely say he had a picture of Stephen who died long before Acts chapter 7. And I'd say there'd probably be some young bus kid or some delinquent dad or somebody in your community or in your church who has recently been saved or who needs to be saved and shown the next step that needs a Stephen, that needs an Ananias, that needs a Barnabas. You probably don't know this man, but his name was Ed. He was a faithful Christian and a faithful servant in his church. In fact, he had a Sunday school class. And he had a group of rowdy young men. But he had a rule that if you were, gonna, if you were going to be in his class, you were going to be there faithfully. And he went after his young people. He didn't just wait for them to come to him. One such young man came to his class who had come to live with his uncle in the city. His dad had died. Now he had moved to the city to, to help support the family. And so, so he, he, he came and his uncle said, there's two rules that you have to abide by in my home. Number one, you can't smoke. And number two, you, you, you got to go to church. He said, okay. So he went to church. He landed in Ed's Sunday school class. And Ed began to pray for him and became burdened for him. And one day, he went to visit him. This young man was working for his uncle, who was a shoe salesman. And, and he was walking by his shoe store, and he felt compelled to go in and see him. And he went into the back where this young man was working. His name was Dwight. And he went to talk to him and began to witness to him, and he pled with him to trust Christ. And right there in the back of that shoe store, that young man named Dwight got saved. It, Dwight would eventually go on and start his own Sunday school. He would move to Chicago and reach the kids that none of the other churches wanted, and he would have his own Sunday school that he built to hundreds. And he eventually started a church, and he became an evangelist. We know him now as Dwight L. Moody. Did you know that Dwight L. Moody was actually preaching in England? And while he was preaching there, there was a young student in the school whose name was F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer would hear the gospel and be saved and be born again and impact all of England for Jesus Christ. In fact, he would not just impact England, but America and his commentaries on the Bible and on Bible characters are still being published today. F.B. Meyer was preaching in America and there was a young student in his congregation that day whose name was J. Wilbur Chapman. J. Wilbur Chapman would hear the gospel and respond to the gospel and be saved. And later, God would call him to preach, and he would become an evangelist. He wrote some amazing songs, Our Great Savior being one of them, and, and, and traveled all around the world during the great revivals of the early part of the 1900s. J. Wilbur Chapman had a young man who was traveling with him who had recently been saved and called to preach named, named Billy Sunday. And he said, Billy, he said, I'm supposed to go to this meeting in Iowa, but he said, I can't go. He said, I've got obligations and I'm going to take a church and pastor it for a while. I need you to preach it. And Billy Sunday said, well, I only have about seven or eight sermons. He said, well, you better get more. Back then you needed seven or eight weeks of sermons. And so he went and preached there in, in Iowa, his very first meeting. And it was Billy Sunday, Billy Sunday and his team that was preaching when a man named Mordecai Ham was under his preaching and heard the gospel and responded and was saved. 
Mordecai Ham would later go on and become a powerful Baptist evangelist. He, he was holding meetings in Charlotte, North Carolina, when a gangly teenage young man was there and heard the gospel and was saved named Billy Graham. Billy Graham would go on and impact so many for Christ in his early days. And, and, and he was preaching in Asheville, North Carolina. And while he was preaching, there was a young man who had been, for the most part, neglected and rejected by his mom and dad. And he and his brother were there in the Asheville City Auditorium in the 1950s when he heard the gospel preached. And he got saved. And his name was Ron Comfort. Ron Comfort has gone on to impact numbers and numbers of people around the world. Myself, Brother Getch, and Brother Schmidt being some of those. And the story continues on and on to this group. And where did it all begin? With a man named Ed. Ed Kimball, a Sunday school teacher who decided he'd be in a Barnabas. And Ananias and a Stephen. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I think sometimes we get enamored with all the bigness and all the greatness and all the numbers. But Lord, help us never to forget that while the religions of the world focus on the masses, Jesus, you focus on the individual. And thank you, Lord. That Ananias listened to you and obeyed and focused on reaching Saul and helping him take the next step. Thank you that Barnabas took him. And Lord, thank you that long before it, Stephen had died. Died spiritually long before he died physically. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to lay ourselves on the altar. Help us, Lord, to be obedient, to be encouraging and to die to self. I pray it for Jesus' sake.